0: I didn't really understand at first what was going on. But as I stared at that image of the Bible, it hit me. I knew at that moment I had been tricked. I sat there. I was stunned.
1: Today on the show, can the government force you to say something, something that violates your conscience?
2: We asked that question in our previous episode, and we're asking it again. Only this time, we're not talking about license plates or state mottos.
1: No, this time we're talking about what is perhaps one of the most divisive issues of our time. Here's how NPR's Nina Totenberg summed up today's case.
3: This one involves abortion, people who claim they were tricked, This is about how people live their lives and the values by which they live their lives and the freedom to live their lives and the freedom of others to prevent what they see as murder. I'm Matthew Schwartz.
1: I'm Mike Vola.
2: And this is Unprecedented.
1: In 2013, Emily Hayden was living in Virginia. She was in grad school working on a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. She was fully funded. This was her dream— And life was on track. Until it wasn't.
0: I felt an ache. This was really deep down low in my belly. It felt like a stretching. And I had never felt it before. I dismissed it at first. And then it insistently showed up. Again. (laughs) and then again, till it was happening every day, and I couldn't ignore it anymore. I thought, well, okay, I should take a pregnancy test. I was sleeping with someone, and so I knew that there was at least a a chance that this could be what was happening. I took the test. And it was positive, and my heart just started totally racing.
1: It sounds like you knew okay, step one, get a pregnancy test. Step two, I have no idea.
0: Yeah. 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 Because I was just very, very torn. I felt like my life was not conducive to having this baby, but I also felt an almost immediate attachment to it. I talked to it.
1: What did you say?
0: I said, hi, baby. (laughs) I mean, they weren't extended conversations. (laughs) But I had this distinct sense that I was not alone in my own body for the first time in my life, which was really weird. So she searched the
2: Internet for a place to get advice? Maybe make a list of pros and cons? She didn't know. She had never been pregnant before. She had no idea how any of this worked.
0: I remember I started Googling that day. Just anything I could think of, like pregnancy help, unplanned pregnancy, pregnancy counseling. I wanted to talk to an impartial party. Somebody who didn't know me. I wanted a counselor... To sit down with me and say, this is what would happen if you had this baby right now. You might have to drop out of your graduate program. You might have to move back home to Connecticut. Or maybe not, you know, maybe there's another way around this. That's what I wanted. I found this one place that had a great website. And this I remember verbatim. They said that they offered help without politics or hype. I thought, oh my gosh, I have found what I'm looking for.
1: The place was CareNet Pregnancy Resource Centers. It's in Manassas, Virginia. Emily showed up the next day for her appointment and walked through the door. There was a sign on the counter, it said to ring the bell for service.
0: So I did. And then this really lovely young woman came out. She had brown hair and this lovely sweater and these cream-colored heels and this beautiful smile. She asked if I would like to have a seat on her comfy green couch. She offered me a snack. Chewy chocolate cookies, snack wells. It did not look like any kind of a medical center. But she did tell me that she had some dry, boring medical questions for me. She asked me what had been the first day of my last period, and I told her that. She asked if I needed a pregnancy test. I told her no, that I had just had it confirmed. She asked me if there were things that I wanted to tell her. So I just launched into my saga, and she just let me talk, and I was so relieved. I felt like she was hearing me out, and like she was not judging me, that she was just listening, that she was so well-trained, that she knew she should stock snacks. This is her job. She works with pregnant people, and she can help me. And then it all changed. She just sat there when I was done. She looked really deep in thought. She looked really pensive. And then she said, I'd like to talk with you now, Emily, about something that is really important to me for just a minute, okay? And I said, sure. She reached over and she plucked this little pamphlet from a table at her side. I remember the petals of a pink lily on the cover. And it was titled, May I Ask You a Question? She said, would you flip with me to page one, please?
2: Emily had just answered a series of dry, boring medical questions, as she put it. The counselor had one more question.
0: Has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven?
1: In that moment, Emily realized this place isn't what she thought it was. CareNet is what's often called a crisis pregnancy center. You can think of them as part Christian ministry, which some don't advertise, and part medical clinic. One of their primary missions is to steer women away from abortion.
0: As I stared at that image of the Bible, it hit me. I knew at that moment I had been tricked. I felt like an idiot. I was so angry at myself in that moment. I was so furious. You know, at myself. <laughs> that I felt like I had fallen for. I felt very stupid. <laughs> you know, I just, I was working on my second master's degree at that point and I was a pretty educated person and I thought yeah I'm a good reader and I thought that I should have known better that I shouldn't have fallen for this but I did sometimes I just kind of freeze up when I am feeling so many things and so I just sat there and I just let her keep going I numbly turned the pages of the booklet with her. It said that the Bible contains both bad news and good news and that the bad news is something about you and the good news is something about God. And it said, we are all sinners. We have all come short of God's standard of perfection. And the penalty for sin is death. If the place had been called... Christian options. I definitely would not have gone. If there had been a sign saying we are affiliated with this church, any hint about God, religion, I would have left.
1: Remember, Matt, that Emily said she just froze and let the woman continue? Mm-hmm. It continued. <laughs>
0: And then they wheeled in this TV and VCR. You might be pregnant, and that can be scary. She just pushed play, and I started watching this video. Anytime a man
3: and woman have sex,
0: pregnancy can happen. They and described they the what they said Some were the dangers of an abortion procedure. Some of the risks include heavy bleeding, damage to your body, and emotional problems. They said that it would cause Irreversible damage. Prolonged bleeding. That infection your uterus would rupture. Organ damage. That it would render you infertile. And failed abortion. That you'd bleed out on the table. Suicidal thoughts and behavior. And that ending a pregnancy would cause breast cancer. And I, I just said, This is not true. I looked at her and I just said, This isn't true. At that moment I could feel myself getting angry about all this misinformation I was hearing. Then I left. (laughs) Yeah, I just went to my car and cried. I don't have good language for the level of panic that I felt and and vulnerability. Until you've been a woman going through an unplanned pregnancy, I don't think you really know. I can't think of a different word than vulnerability.
2: I would imagine, Mike, that... It's precisely this vulnerability that brings thousands of women to these crisis pregnancy centers every year. Many of them, like Emily, unaware of their religious affiliation.
1: And so far, we've heard Emily's story. The crisis pregnancy centers, of course, have their perspective, too, that an abortion prevented is a life saved. And we will hear from them. But it's important to point out that many doctors are fierce critics of these centers. In 2018, the American Medical Association's Journal of Ethics published an article titled Why Crisis Pregnancy Centers Are Legal But Unethical. And not too long ago, I spoke to an OBGYN who says flat out that these centers are trading in false information.
4: My name is Dr. Nancy Stanwood. I'm an associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the Yale School of Medicine, where I serve as the section chief of family planning in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology.
1: Wow. Is that, is that on your voicemail?
4: <laughs> no, it says leave a message.
1: Dr. Stanwood has patients who came to her after visiting a crisis pregnancy center. The one Emily went to is in Virginia, but there are thousands of them around the country. They do things like administer pregnancy tests and ultrasounds, Mm -hmm. and many have a medical license. But Dr. Stanwood refers to them as fake women's medical centers. She told me about one woman who experienced what she called delay tactics.
4: They kept telling her the ultrasound wasn't conclusive and she needed to come back a week later, and she was confused and uncertain, and then she realized that they were completely deceiving her. Some of the other lies that these centers will say is that having an abortion makes somebody infertile, and that's patently not true. One of the common recurring lies that comes up is that having an abortion increases the risk of breast cancer.
1: And just to be clear, there is no scientific literature that links breast cancer to abortion.
4: The studies have been done and have been looked at actually by the National Cancer Institute, and they came out with a very clear statement to say the medical evidence is clear that having an abortion does not increase the risk of breast cancer. As a physician, we take an oath, uh, the Hippocratic Oath, and part of that is to put patients' needs before anything else, before our own needs, before our own beliefs. It is immoral to mislead people who are seeking medical care, to give them false information, to give them harmful information. And to make women who are seeking abortion care targets of those kind of deceptive tactics, I think, is completely unethical. And when they do that, it makes me very upset to see women harmed in this way.
2: In Emily's experience and in Dr. Stanwood's experience, some of these pregnancy clinics are misleading women.
1: I think that's fair to say and, and here's why. Let's take CareNet as the example. That organization has many affiliates across North America, including the one in Manassas, Virginia that Emily went to. And they hold a national conference every year where employees can take classes on on things like how to get their clinic websites to rank higher in Google search results.
2: Companies do that sort of thing all the time.
1: They do. They do. But in this case, the clinics are trying to improve their rankings by implying that they offer services they don't. I want you to listen to this tape that I came across. This is a CareNet employee, a guy named Jacob Hall. He's at one of these conferences a few years ago. Again, he's talking about how to improve your ranking when people search for you online.
5: I type in abortion, it says abortion pill. Bingo, I know abortion pill is something that people are searching. Abortion clinic, abortion clinic near me, abortion cost, fantastic keywords, if those phrases are on your website. If they're not, easy, just add them in. Somehow finesse a way to say, we're here to talk to you about abortion, including abortion pills and abortion surgery.
1: Again, from one of those conferences, This is a woman named Jana Pinson. She's the executive director of a pregnancy center in Texas.
6: One of my favorite ones is Planning Parenthood. And I've gotten so many clicks on that. I changed my website tag to be the number one source of abortion information in the coastal bend because we are. We don't have an abortion clinic and putting number one with abortion information really got me up. So my click-through rate is at like 6%. Like it's really high.
2: Leading women to believe that you run an abortion clinic when you don't? Planning parenthood? You're going to get people who are looking for planned parenthood, who are are looking for abortion clinics. It's very clear what they're trying to do.
1: Yeah. And these are precisely the kinds of, of practices, of tactics that might lead someone, like a legislator, to conclude that there ought to be a law.
5: Moving to file item 17.
1: So in 2015, a state assembly member in California, he's a Democrat from San Francisco, his name is David Chu, he introduced a bill called the Reproductive Fact Act.
2: California has a compelling state interest to make sure that all pregnant women have timely
6: access to health care, When it comes to pregnancy-related services, unfortunately, in recent years, we've seen clinics that have delayed that care, often with information that falsely links abortions to breast cancer, infertility, and mental illness.
1: This law required that these crisis pregnancy centers, these CPCs, that they post in their lobby or hand out to their clients a very specific message. It's not very long, so I'm going to read it. Here's what it says. California has public programs that provide immediate, free, or low cost access to comprehensive family planning services, including all FDA approved methods of contraception, prenatal care, and abortion for eligible women. And then there would be a phone number included, depending on which county you lived in.
2: Mm, as a lawyer, I'm a little bit wary.
1: Can you expound?
2: Yeah, Sure. Okay, so uh, on the one hand, yes, the government requires disclosures all the time.
1: Factual disclosures.
2: Yeah. Like, do you think that candy bar makers would actually put the number of calories on their wrappers if they didn't need to?
1: I think they would probably tell you nothing. Right. If they didn't have to.
2: But on the other hand, we have a tradition in this country against forcing people to speak. That was the whole point of our first episode.
1: It was, yeah.
2: And forcing people to effectively point the way towards abortion services?
1: I don't know. Well, that certainly explains why this bill was so controversial. In fact, the debate that took place in the California legislature got really emotional. I got a conscience, and this
5: violates my conscience.
1: To force these centers
2: to post and to distribute how to obtain free abortions, cuts to the core of their founding purpose and their reason for being. Democrats, for once, just say no to your Planned Parenthood racist masters.
3: To the gentlemen who appear to be so concerned, when you have a uterus, come talk to me. They were linking
6: abortion to breast cancer infertility, and suicide, and claiming that birth control was not at all effective. They're told that an abortion will lead to all sorts of horrific things. As quite possibly the only person in this chamber who actually walked into a clinic, young, unmarried, a student, and pregnant, I don't understand why we're so afraid of allowing women a complete access to information.
5: With that, the clerk will open the roll. All members vote a desire to vote. All members vote their desire to vote. Eyes 46, nose 25. Measure passes.
2: So it passed.
1: Yeah, it did.
2: Which means these Christian clinics are gonna have to put up messages about where women can get abortions.
1: That's that's what they would legally have been bound to do. But let's hear from Josh McClure. He's the executive director of one of these centers. It's called Pregnancy Care Clinic in San Diego.
5: As a licensed clinic, what the law was going to require us to do is to use our walls as billboards to advertise for abortion.
1: Did you comply with the law when it was first passed? No, we did not.
5: It's fundamentally wrong to require an organization or any American to say a message that they don't agree with. The First Amendment protects the people from government using its power in that way.
1: So he sued. He got together with what's called the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates, or NIFLA for short, which is an umbrella organization that represents about 1,500 of these pro-life pregnancy centers. And they sued the state of California for violating their First Amendment rights. Josh McClure,
2: along with every one of these Christian pregnancy centers in California, is being compelled to say something that he doesn't want to say.
1: That he doesn't want to say because it violates his conscience as a Christian. On the other hand, women, like Emily Hayden, are drawn to these pregnancy centers under something like false pretenses.
2: Emily was more blunt. She said that she was tricked into walking into this pregnancy center.
1: She did. She did say that. So the question becomes, how does the Supreme Court decide between the rights of the pregnancy centers to not deliver a government message and the rights of vulnerable women to have complete information
2: we will answer that question and hear more from the pregnancy centers
6: after the break this month at wamu we're lifting our voices to shine a light on black change makers throughout american history some you know and some you don't but they all change the world Go to WAMU.org slash Lift Every Voice to learn the stories of these incredible African-American changemakers and to hear special interviews spotlighting those who have impacted the arts, sciences, sports, and activism. Go to WAMU.org slash Lift Every Voice. What's the website for your organization? The website for our organization is empowered2choose.org. I can spell that for you if you would like me to. Empowered No,
2: no to. I'm, I'm I'm on it. I, I'm on it. I just wanted to i just wanted to make sure I was on the right one. So I'm looking at this.
1: We one. called nice Becky time. Sheets. She runs the pregnancy center that Emily Hyden visited. We wanted to find out how Emily could go to their website and actually make the trip to the clinic itself all without knowing that this was a, a, a ministry.
2: And just to be clear, Becky Sheets was not at the center when Emily Hyden went there in 2013, but she is now. And she was kind enough to answer some of our questions. I'm, I'm looking at the front page here and there's just nothing about religion at all. There's nothing about God or God's word or anything like that. And just, I'm wondering why not?
6: We are we are funded by churches. We're a Christian ministry. Uh, we're that's that's well known. We certainly do not hide from that. We're very open about that, and uh, that's that's who we are. It's what we do. We're a nonprofit Christian ministry. Yeah, but
2: if somebody doesn't know about CareNet PRCs, um, I don't I don't think they would know that. I mean, I consider myself a pretty smart guy, and I'm looking on through the website here and if I was worried about what to do about a pregnancy and I found this website, I would think like maybe this is a place that's gonna give me all my options. I certainly wouldn't think this Mm -hmm. was religiously affiliated. Is this deception? Because the person, Emily, who came to your your clinic thought that she was deceived And, and it seems to me like it is kind of deception and I just wonder what you would say to that.
6: No, I would disagree with that. I would say that we are a medical clinic with licensed medical professionals. And as you said, it is a place where she comes to learn about all of her options. We have no financial stake. Everything we provide, the pregnancy test, the ultrasounds, the information on pregnancy, the classes, it's all, it's all free. It's all uh, open to her so that she can make the best decision about her pregnancy and for her health and for her life.
2: So I just want to give you a chance to respond directly. She said to us, I felt deceived by CareNet. How would you respond to her?
6: If we got that feedback on a client form, we would want to talk with her directly, and we would want to help understand why she was deceived and how she was deceived. We don't want anyone to have anything other than a fantastic, um, excellent experience here. We strive for excellence.
1: That was Becky Sheets, who runs the center that Emily Haydn went to. Since we spoke to her, the name of her clinic has changed to First Care Women's Health.
2: We posed the same question to Josh McClure. Remember, he's head of a pregnancy center in San Diego. And he, along with NIFLA, sued California. And Mike, you asked him why on his website, which, by the way, is unplannedparenthood.org Why is there no mention of a religious affiliation?
1: I know that word of mouth is a big part of how people find your clinic, but certainly some people find it through the internet. And on your website, there's no mention of Christianity or the Bible or even God. And I wonder if that's by design. Are you, are you not putting that on your website because you don't want to put off a certain segment of the population.
5: The truth of the matter there is that um, who is funding us is not important for the moment of our clients coming in to see us. Okay, they're there because they need help and we're offering it at no charge. And adding that information doesn't help us or take away from
2: what we're trying to do. I'm sorry to press this point, but it, it seems like what, what you're saying is putting information on the website to bring people in that would be helpful to bring them in is what you want. So the implication would be leaving certain information out. If that helps bring them in, that is a goal that that you're trying to achieve. I didn't say that at all. Okay. Well, I'm just trying to. I said I'm just trying to understand. I said
5: that. Sorry. Go ahead. I said that when I advertise on our web page, I'm providing information that will bring clients in. But I just, I don't understand. There, there's no, there's no requirement that you have to say everything about your organization. That's a silly idea. You don't go to buy tennis shoes because of ideology. You don't go to a hamburger store because of everything that that hamburger store might support or be supported by. You advertise
2: for what is going to bring clients in the door. Since we spoke with Josh McClure, his website has added a paragraph in the frequently asked questions that acknowledges the clinic's Christian nonprofit status.
1: these these pregnancy centers are in the business of salvation. And perhaps their calculation is that if saving souls requires a little bait and switch, well, it's it's in the service of a greater good.
2: But California didn't see it that way. California saw vulnerable women being misled. And the question now is, how does the Supreme Court see it?
3: It is the first abortion case the U.S. Supreme Court has heard under the, the Trump state of administration. California and says case. the
6: Reproductive Fact Act protects women from bait and switch pro life. clinics. The justices
2: will weigh whether a state can require pro life clinics to provide information about abortion. The abortions. National
6: Institute of Family and Life Advocates wants
4: the law declared unconstitutional as a violation of the clinic's free speech.
5: We'll hear argument this morning in case number 161140, the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates versus Becerra.
1: The case is called Nifla v. Becerra. Becerra, by the way, is Javier Becerra. He's the attorney general of California. And this much we know going in. Freedom of speech is at stake. In order to pass a law that infringes on a fundamental right like freedom of speech, The government needs to have a really good reason.
2: And as we heard from the debate in the state legislature, California had several reasons for the law, but they all boiled down to what California called informed choice.
1: Informed choice. That's not really a phrase that's top of mind for me.
2: Think of it this way. The California Fact Act the message that the pregnancy centers have to post on their walls.
1: Saying, here's where you can get services from the state of California, including abortion.
2: Right. The government requires this sort of thing all the time. For instance, most of us don't stop and read them, but somewhere, wherever you work, there's probably a notice that says the company can't discriminate on the basis of race or gender. Sure, I've seen those. Or if you get prescription drugs, you also get a notice that says, here's all the potential side effects and complications. These are all examples of things that the government can force businesses to say, to empower people with information about what they're consuming or the services they're seeking.
1: And and it's a form of compelled speech.
2: Compelled speech that's allowed. So the attorney for the state of California, Joshua Klein, argues that the FACT Act Is no different. It's just like all these other notices. It's constitutional, he says, because it gives women the information they need to make the best decisions for their health. Mr. Klein? Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, the interest served by the license disclosure is promoting informed choice by a patient. It empowers the woman by explaining that her financial circumstance does not make her unable to access alternative and supplemental care, including full prenatal and delivery care that petitioners do not themselves supply. And it gives her that knowledge in time to be useful because pregnancy and medical care is extraordinarily time critical. So Klein is arguing that this required notice isn't a problem. There's a tradition in this country of forcing businesses to disclose information so that customers and clients and patients have the facts that they need to make a good decision. Cigarette warnings, nutritional labels, these are all compelled speech.
1: Yeah, but this California notice is different from all the other examples you've been throwing out because this disclosure involves abortion. When you add abortion into the mix, for better or worse, it transforms what would otherwise be perhaps a a routine disclosure into something incendiary.
2: It's true. Some people have moral and visceral objections to laws that force them to say anything about abortion. Let's hear another clip from the oral argument, this one from the other side. This is Jeffrey Wall arguing in support of the pregnancy centers.
5: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. The First Amendment allows states to require truthful, factual disclosures about one's own goods or services. What the First Amendment does not allow, and what California has done, is to require pregnancy centers to make disclosures about services they do not provide and that would violate their most deeply held beliefs without any showing by the state that it truly needs to compel speech rather than speak its own
2: message. The pregnancy centers are saying this isn't your run-of-the-mill disclosure. This isn't about an allergic reaction to a flu shot. It's not about the number of calories in your cookies. This is about making us complicit in what we consider murder.
1: So. On the one side, we've got California arguing that these disclosures are necessary to make sure women know all of their options. And that's what's most important.
2: And on the other side, we've got the pregnancy clinics arguing that these disclosures violate their First Amendment rights. And that's most important. The question is, which side can convince a majority of the Supreme Court to see it their way?
4: Abortion rights opponents are celebrating a victory in the U.S. Supreme Court today. In a 5-4 decision, the court cited with crisis pregnancy centers, which counsel women against abortion. Abortion
6: rights opponents are celebrating the decision as a victory for free speech. The decision is a victory for social conservatives who've hoped that Trump's election will lead to a more conservative and anti-abortion judiciary.
2: We spoke about this case with Nina Totenberg,
1: who we've been calling the 10th justice.
2: And she's apparently okay with that. And she says, yeah, the fact that this case involves abortion
3: is significant. Right. There's nothing standard about abortion. The issue has divided the country, has divided the body politic, and it definitely divides the Supreme Court.
1: But to characterize this as an abortion case is to miss the bigger picture, What this case is also about and what underlies many of the 5-4 decisions in recent years is the fact that conservatives on the court are frequently anti-regulation and they are invoking the First Amendment, or as Justice Elena Kagan put it, weaponizing the First Amendment as a way to strike down regulations.
2: Right. She wrote in a dissent last year, That the conservatives were choosing winners and losers by wielding the First Amendment as a sword and slicing away regulations that they disagree with, like California's Reproductive Fact Act, which we've been talking about today. Another example is Citizens United, where the conservative majority struck down campaign finance regulations, again, on First Amendment
3: grounds. And that was right after... They had actually been upheld when Justice O'Connor was on the court. She leaves, she's replaced by Justice Alito, and boom, they go the other way. And they say regulating campaign finance is regulating money and money is speech.
1: So the case that we're talking about today, Nifla v. Becerra, hinged on a, a Trump Supreme Court appointee. And the case that you just mentioned hinged on Alito, who was a George W. Bush appointee you know for all their their chest pounding over legislating from the bench it seems that republicans know that the bench is where the power is and if you want to reorganize society in your image that's that's where you put your resources
3: that's true but you're going to hear me say this over and over in the course of this season the base of the republican party votes based significantly on the president's power to name Supreme Court justices. Mm-hmm. It is their A number one issue, and they throw their weight behind it, even when they have to swallow hard over the nominee like Donald Trump, who finally put out a list of people to allay their fears and promise that he would pick from the list. Democrats do not do that. The Supreme Court is not an A number one issue for them. And now we see there are some left-wing groups that are trying to get the candidates to put out their lists, which I think is a supremely stupid idea. I mean, that's not the idea of picking a Supreme Court nominee. president is supposed to think about it, have conversations with the finalists and be really thoughtful about who they pick, and sometimes not be thoughtful about who they pick. But a list is not the way to do it.
2: The conservatives have made Supreme Court nominees, their a number one issue. And perhaps at some point the Democrats might as well, is that a good thing for our democracy?
3: No, it stinks. <laughs> <laughs> it really does stink. But, you know, I'm a mushy middle person, so I liked it when you couldn't predict what the court was going to do. I miss a court that is more more centrist. That's what I miss. I liked it when justices were genuinely undecided or at least looking to resolve an issue in the least destructive way. I like that uncertainty, and it has significantly disappeared from the court today, not entirely, but significantly.
1: Here on Unprecedented, we like to think of the people who are behind these Supreme Court cases as the accidental guardians of our freedoms. But who exactly is the accidental guardian in this case? Is it the, the California legislature and Dr. Stanwood who are battling for a woman's right to choose, free from deception?
2: Or is it Nifla and Josh McClure who are battling for their First Amendment rights?
1: Is it Emily Haydn who believes she was tricked?
2: Or is it Becky Sheets who believes she's saving lives?
1: In much the same way that the justices bring their own biases to the bench, Who you see as the accidental guardian in this case depends on you.
0: It was almost like going to that clinic was the final nail in the coffin for me because they had not talked me out of ending it. And what would have worked better, I don't know if it would have worked, but what would have worked better is if someone had said, like, let's talk about what will really happen. Let's look at column A and what might happen if you go down this path versus option B if you go down this path. But there was no logic there. There was no reason there. The women who come here, they're in a tough spot. They're
6: in a crisis and they come here to get the love, the support and the medical resources they need to make an informed decision. We don't want any woman to make a decision to terminate her pregnancy because she feels like she's hopeless, she has no other choice besides abortion. We want to be a place she can come to to know that there are other options available to her.
0: I mean, these places are just continuing. It it, it makes me lose my mind. Every day, other women are... (laughs) In situations like the one that I was in, they wake up and they don't know what to do. And I just think, oh, my God, like, think of all the women who are falling for this right now. And no one is doing anything about it.
1: Unprecedented is produced at WAMU and edited by Ponce Rutch. Ben Privet is our audio engineer.
2: Andy McDaniel is WAMU's head of content.
1: WAMU's general manager is J.J. Yor.
2: If you like the show, tell a friend and rate us on iTunes. It really makes a difference.
1: And if you want more podcasts like Unprecedented, become a member of WAMU. They produce and distribute Unprecedented and other great shows.
2: Head to WAMU.org donate and tell them you're giving because you love Unprecedented.